Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we are learning to invest like Warren Buffett. <laughs> that was a long pause. Like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. That's what's happening. I'm teaching my kid, Danielle, who is an attorney, and we've been at this for a while. And if you're at this point in our podcast and only just starting, probably you should go back to number one and go from the beginning and just listen to all of them because we're just continuing flow of information about how we do this kind of investing that a lot of people call value investing. We call it rule, rule number one investing. And what it boils down to, the reason there's a little bit of difference in what you call it is that we're the kind of investors that buy maybe 10 companies and our first five companies, our best ideas, um, our very best idea gets the most money and it might have 20, 20% of our portfolio. And then the next idea might have 12% and the next idea might have 10%. But almost all people who invest like we do will have 60 or 70% of their capital in their first top five ideas. And that means people like Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger. Um, gosh, I mean, there's just a huge pile of Manesh Babrai, Guy Spear, Bill Ackman, David Einhorn, lots and lots of great investors. And, and they're very focused on a small number of companies. And that is what distinguishes them from other value investors who buy, you know, 50 companies. But we do a very small number. And so we got to make sure we get it right. And yeah. the process of making sure we get it right is to make sure we understand the business and it's got a, a really, really competitive advantage and it's got great people running it and we can buy it on sale. So that's what we're talking about. How do we know? And if you things? go back to the beginning, you will hear a very different me. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's so true. We're talking about, has it been two and a half years or three and a half years? Been I think it's been three and a half. I think it has too. We're on podcast number. This one is podcast number 85. 185. Yeah, we've done, we've done a so lot. we're doing about, you know, 52 of them a year. <laughs> so that's, yeah. yeah, three and a half years of stuff there. And it's, an, it's a library of information about this style of investing. So get on back to the beginning so we don't have to keep telling you everything we're doing from the very beginning on every single podcast. In this podcast, we are well down the road on looking at owner earnings, and I think we're getting near the end of it. Um, last time we talked about uh, a, a little bit of understanding of accounts receivable, accounts payable, some of the things you depreciate, some of the things you get out, sorry, not what you depreciate, but how to change the numbers from net income into more of a right cash flow number. And one of the most important aspects of that is you have to remove the maintenance capital expenditures that the company is incurring. And maintenance capital expenditures are the expenditures that you have to do in order to continue to run the company at the level it's at right now. So my ears are glazing over already. Mm. It's a lot. And that said, Maintenance capital expenditures, actually, for people who don't like numbers like me, this part is where you get to read words. <laughs> it's so exciting because there are actually words in the financial statements if you look at the notes to the financial statements. And uh, they literally just explain what a lot of these numbers mean. Now, do they explain it in words that are easily understandable? Not always. But... I do enjoy reading that part a lot more than I enjoy reading the numbers. And so 
what we're doing with this particular number that my dad asks for maintenance capital expenditures is pull out from a larger number which ones are specifically for maintenance versus which ones which expenditures are for growth and that's the part that's a little bit tough it's the part that requires that I really understand the company well, because if I understand the company well, I'll already kind of know what they do for growth. And then everything else is just maintenance. What do you think, Dad? I think that's right. I think that if you understand the company well, you'll understand what kinds of things they have to do to maintain the company. And, uh, and probably they'll have given you, a, if they're a company that's growing rapidly, they'll have given you a pretty decent idea, or they should have, of what they're spending on that growth. So they'll, they'll often distinguish it by saying that we're spending um, this much money on building out new stores or we're spending this much money on land. I was just, yeah. uh, by way of example, um, you might take a look at a company. I don't know if you've looked at this company yet or not, um, but it, goes, it takes me back to my Grand Canyon River days when I, okay. was, I was living up by Flagstaff, Arizona in a little town called Parks. And, uh, in a teepee and a barn and um, with no running water. There was no wells. That, actually, we had running water in the house, but I couldn't get in there. <clears throat> and down the road a ways was a little place called Prescott, uh, Arizona, which is up on the Mogollon Rim, which is sort of the high country above the Grand Canyon on one side and looking down into the desert where Phoenix and Tucson are on the other side. And it's this high country, so it's probably a six or seven thousand feet and Prescott's just down off that rim and it was a beautiful beautiful place and friends of mine would go backpacking out of there and there was this little university out of there that people would go to uh, during the Vietnam War um, which was you know facetiously called Backpack U and you could go and learn kayaking you could take classes in backpacking in the Grand Canyon um, stuff like this and avoid the draft so people <laughs> and, and so I believe that was the original start of a company right now called Grand Canyon University. And okay. the symbol for this company is L-O-P-E, which takes you back to the coyotes that were run around Prescott. Um, Grand Canyon University? It's yeah. a private or a for-profit university? It's a for-profit university. And it has changed dramatically in the last 20 years as um, kind of new management came in. And oh, said, did it turn into the University of Phoenix? No, but the oh. University of Phoenix actually, while Grand Canyon University has become this enormous success, University of Phoenix has become an enormous disaster. And yeah, but I've never heard of Grand Canyon University. I know, isn't that cool? <laughs> <laughs> and somehow it's an enormous success without me. Right. I don't know how that happened. Yeah, it, it is. And, and it did it without any of us really kind of knowing um, I think that's what it's called. Let me just make sure I've got the right, right place. Yeah. Do you and I guess we're going to get to how they calculate their maintenance capital expenditures. Well, yeah, because I think it's a really good, uh, a good example of how you would dig this out, right? So um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go on our website, which is uh, rule1investing.com, and I'm putting in the symbol... L-O-P-E. And what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to find the information about capital expenditures that we have to subtract during our uh, calculation of owner earnings. So 
Well, let me just recap what the what the formula looks like. And by the way, tell everybody what page this is on. I always forget. <laughs> <laughs> the formula for owner earnings is on page one nine four of our book, Invested, available everywhere, including on audio, including on Kindle, including on <laughs> the Nook, whatever else there is. Outstanding. <laughs> and it's on page 194. The formula for owner earnings is net income plus, and this might be negative numbers here, but you still add them, depreciation and amortization plus net change accounts receivable plus net change accounts payable plus income tax. And then the last one is plus maintenance capital expenditures equals owner earnings. And um, and the issue, as I mentioned in the beginning, is that maintenance capital expenditures is not a readily available number in the accounting statements. Companies are not required to break out the maintenance expenditures and the growth expenditures. And that's what we want to do is divide those out. Now, we have another calculation for a different pricing method in our book, the second pricing method, where we get free cash flow and include both of those, so maintenance and growth are included in that particular formula. But on this one, for all the reasons we've been talking about for a number of episodes now, so go back and listen to them if you've missed them, um, we're just looking at the maintenance ones. And it's a bit of a, this is the one we've gotten the most questions about from you guys, because it's a bit of like, how the heck do you do that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, all right, so we're kind of working down through this math. We yeah. start, like Danielle just said, net income, and we're subtracting depreciation and amortization. No, we're adding it, Dad. Sorry, we're adding, adding in depreciation and amortization. We're uh, taking the changes of accounts receivable and accounts payable, and we're adding them even if they're a negative number. And then we're adding back in income tax. And sometimes that means we're adding back in a negative number, but most times we're adding a positive number. Um, and, and adding that back in because we're going to judge this pre-tax. And now we've got kind of a number before we look at capital expenditures. And we got to figure out capital expenditures. So what I've done is I've gone over to our website, rule1investing.com, and I've put in L-O-P-E into the symbol box, clicked on it. And then when the menu comes up, I've asked for SEC forms. And when that page comes up, I've looked for the 10K. And the 10K is a form number on the left column. Um, in this case, it's about two thirds or about halfway down the page. And I'm clicking on a PDF that brings up the 10K. And now I have the 2017 Grand Canyon University 10K on my computer. It's really that fast. Now, if you don't happen to have the toolbox, which many of you don't have, then you go over to Grand Canyon University's website, except you'll not find the 10K there. And the reason for that is that Grand Canyon University as a for-profit university or for-profit company doesn't really want its prospective students or its students digging into investor relations it, so, and, and pulling up investor information. So it doesn't put it on its main website anywhere. Yeah, a lot of companies do that. A lot of companies. Not that. because, I don't know, it's a little negative to put it that way. It's, it's not because they don't want people to know. It's because they need their website to be available for why people are going there, which right. is to 
purchase items or sign up for classes or whatever. No, I agree. So they, I have agree. A, they have a separate website for investor relations. Stand corrected. And since you have no idea, and no one does, what they call this separate website, the right way to find it is to just put in the name of the company and then the words investor relations in a Google search. Yeah. So you go to Google, and I'm Googling Grand Canyon University investor relations. That's it. But wait, uh, can I just interrupt the flow here for a mm -hmm. second? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, we haven't even really talked about maintenance capital expenditures and what it is and how one might separate it from growth. Do you okay. want to do that before well, we you get to a public company? Well, I think we did. I actually. mean, we did. We did because you kept on wanting to talk about it. <laughs> we did talk about it. I, but I'll talk about it again, which really quickly, it's... Give me, the, give me the quick version. All right. You've got a rental house that you're renting out for, for revenue. Everybody who's been following along, I apologize. <laughs> and then... <laughs> That rental house has it has expenses that you incur every year, um, which include, let's say, you know, the garbage hauling expense that you do every month, or maybe every month you got to pay for somebody to mow the lawn. So you have these expenses you incur every year, and those would normally be subtracted from revenue, which is your rental income. Now, in addition, you have two other kinds of expenses that you're going to pay money for. The first one we would call maintenance capital expenditures. And capital expenditures are for the purchase of things that are gonna last longer than a year. So it's different than paying for you know garbage hauling yeah. every month. It's a thing that you buy. In this yeah. case of a rental house, it would be a refrigerator, a stove, right? A roof. So it's things that have a life of more than one year, typically more than just a couple of years. And so let's say your roof has a life of 15 years. This is a, you have to replace the roof every 15 years or you're not gonna have a tenant. They're gonna move out, okay? So it's not yeah. gonna get you any extra revenue to replace the roof. It's a required maintenance to replace the roof every 15 years. So you have to have an expenditure that covers that as part of the money that you can't put in your pocket because you know you gotta pay that. And yet it's combined in one giant capital expenditure number, which also includes anything you spend on growing that house, growing that business, right? Exactly. So if this happens to be on a two acre lot, um, you could conceivably every couple of years build another house next door, right? You split the lot into maybe, maybe eight parcels and you build a house every two years for the next 16 years, and that's part of your retirement plan, all right? So building that house would be capital expenditures for growth. You're going to increase your revenues dramatically by having this new uh, growth of your company, and that's different than the kind of expenditures you have to maintain the old house of fixing yeah. the roof. Okay, so that's the difference okay. between maintenance and growth capex. And, and the point is that they are combined. They're combined. <laughs> In most companies, they combine them, and if they split them out, they do so in a note, and they often don't split them out at all. So let's go so take our a look task at here is to split them out because what we want to figure out with this owner earnings formula is what does the company actually have if they never grew the company at all? Right, right. So we're going to go get the document where you will learn 
uh, as best you can what this number might be. And that's the Form 10K annual report from that company. So we're going to go to Grand Canyon University's website, look at and, and uh, type in Investor Relations Grand Canyon University in Google, and up comes their website. And right there, it says Grand Canyon Education colon Investor Overview. And then there's two subheadings. One is SEC filings. I'm going to click on that. This is an SEC filing, this thing. And then I'm going to choose from the list. And um, it can say uh, filing year. And I'd like it to be 2000, whatever, the most recent one. I can say 10K. Annual filings is often put on there. And you're looking for the 10K. And when you find it, click on it and bring it up as a PDF, typically, is the best way to do it. So I'm bringing up a PDF, and it takes a couple of seconds, which is a miracle compared to what it was. <laughs> My daughter keeps telling me 1981 was a long time ago. I don't think so. Um, you used to have to walk uphill both ways to the library. <laughs> Very cute. Of course <laughs> I did. Of course I did. Um, so I'm now on the PDF. And the reason we choose a PDF is because they have a lovely search tool on the PDF in the upper right-hand corner. And it says actually search. So I click on it and get a cursor. And now I'm typing in the words capital expenditure. That's the first thing you do? You, mm -hmm. you search? You don't just go to the cash flow statement? No, nope. I'm just searching capital expenditure. Well, okay. I always go to the cash flow statement. I, okay, I, fair enough. I'm going to the cash flow statement first. No, I'm genuinely asking. Like everybody's got their own way of doing stuff. Well, honestly, by the time I've gotten to where I'm actually dumping down the 10K, I have already done a cursory look at the cash flow statements and taken a quick look um, just on my website because I've got all that already there. So good point. If you haven't already done that, then taking a look at the cash flow statement is a really good idea. And oh, I thought you were going to say that the search just takes you there more quickly than like scrolling down. Yeah, it's like, well, on the toolbox, it's fast. I just go there and I see 10 years of cash flow statements. Um, and what I'm seeing in, um, wow, what I'm seeing in the cash flow statements on that, I think is actually not correct. It doesn't look right to me. So let me dig in a little bit here. And this is why out. I like. I'm a crazy nerd about going straight to the actual 10K because most of the time it's totally correct when you use these other like third party websites. But I'm just always like, unless you check it, you won't know, you know? So good point. I, okay. I, I'll buy that 100%. Yeah. I, so I'm sorry. Whenever you use a website that consolidates information, you got to go to the source. And the source is these SEC documents. And this one is called the Consolidated Statement of Cash Flow. And, or state, I basically put in cash flow statement, but probably to be exactly accurate, Consolidated Statement of Cash Flow would be better. And what will come up is a bunch of matches for that. And you pick the one that's got a pile of numbers on it, says Grand Canyon Education Consolidated Statement of Cash Flow. And to be even more accurate, I am in the 2017 Annual Report 10K on page 63. So if you're following along it. at home, love the citations. There you go. If you follow along at home, and indeed, I see that my website has failed to properly account for capex with Grand Canyon University. Oh, bummer. I know, bummer. And the reason isn't because my website is stupid. It's because 
Grand Canyon University splits their capital expenditures into two different rows, and oh. we didn't program this thing to do that because almost nobody does that. But these guys did. Now, another company that did that, we came up in another podcast a long time ago, was Whole yeah. Foods. Yeah, that did happen. So it seems like everything we want to look at is doing something. But again, you know, weird. again, like that's that's the kind of thing that should be blatantly obvious if you understand the company. You should know that. You should be like, right, of course it's in two rows because that's how they do it. Yeah, because you've already dug in. Yeah. Right? So now we're just digging in. And I noticed that um, what my website's carrying is called Purchase of Property and Equipment. That's our standard line for that. And so it seeks that out of a SEC document and puts the number on there. In this case, it puts the number of 10 million is what they spent on purchase of something. And so we use that number, 10 million. Now, what it happens to be is on their, on their 10K, on page 63, is purchase of land, building, and golf course improvements related to offsite development, $10 million. Hmm. Okay, now right above that, very blatantly right there, you can't miss it, but our website missed it, is capital expenditures. Hmm. And that number is $113 million. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> so you know what? It helps to be a human. And we're going to try to make the website a little smarter to pick up that number because that's obviously capital expenditures. Okay, so what we see... But that actually helps us okay. in our effort to separate maintenance and growth. Well, it does certainly because the purchase of land and, and, and golf course improvements and buildings related to offsite development would imply that isn't the, you know, that's growing the business. That's growth, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now, we, but let's look at the main number. We've got $113.5 million. That's just pure capital expenditures. Now, what we want to do is figure out, is a big chunk of that also growth or is it all maintenance? And that's going to be a big deal. That's a lot of money um, when we're considering that we're starting off with $200 million of earnings here. And I'm just running through this real quick. We're adding in $50 million. And by the way, you should be able to do this in your head. You shouldn't need a calculator. You shouldn't need an Excel spreadsheet. This is, you know, give or take 4 or $5 million. It doesn't matter. What, what you're just doing is rounding things off to get in the ballpark here. So it says $203 million in net income. It's, I'm never going to do that, FYI. Yes, you never. are. You've got to learn to do this. You just have to think a little differently. All right. So no, just I'll learn screw to think something like up. I have to have it like. Okay. Well, here I go. $200 okay. million net income. Depreciation of 54. I'm going to call it 50. So that's $250 million right there. And then we have. Uh, negative 20 million for accounts receivable. So now we're down to Wait, 230 to million. Wait, to net change in accounts receivable? Yeah, net change. So that's negative 20. Now I'm at 230 million. Then we have accounts payable. It's a positive five. So now I'm at 235. Um, I'm, I'm going over to the income tax thing and look at income taxes that they paid. Uh, income tax is 80 million. So I'm adding that back in. 235 and 80 is 315 million. So if right now I'm ready to take out for maintenance capex. So I've got 315 million. 113 million is a lot of money out of 315 million. That's huge. 
right? So we need to know how much of this is maintenance. So now- out, What do you mean out of that number? You're gonna add it to that number. Well, then I'm gonna add a negative number, yeah. You're gonna add a negative. Thank you very taking, much. Taking it out. Okay. <laughs> so if I had it in my pocket, I'd be removing it and handing it to the maintenance. Okay. So now to do that, I'm going back up to that uh, search window, that little search box, and I'm putting in capital expenditures. All right. And now I'm looking for where it highlights those. And actually, I'm going to put parentheses around it so it gets it exactly right. And now it's finding capital expenditures. And it's saying, you know, we continue to expand the size, and this is on page 14, of our ground campus by adding all kinds of stuff, and these activities will require significant capital expenditures. So it sounds like some of their capital expenditures are for growth, right? They're expanding yeah. their facilities and everything. All right, so let's continue looking. Now I'm going over to page 23. Why did you pick this company that I've never heard of? Um, because I think it's interesting how they break this out. I was reading about it not too long ago. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. One of the, what we do this, what we do this thing in, in class where we have all the students find a company and, and make a 10 minute presentation about it that we call the story and we teach them how to do that. And a student put up this company and they won the $1,000 first prize that you get for the best one. And wow. they did a great job on this thing. I think this was the one that won it. Um, this is a fantastic company. By the way, it appears to me I haven't done my work yet, so don't take that as gospel. Yeah, well, that's why I was asking because I didn't know if you know a lot about it or if you were just sort of cursorily. Uh, Pretty cursorily right it. now, I would say. Pretty cursorily. Um, and so I'm popping down this list on the left of where they've mentioned capital expenditures. And I finally find a main heading called capital expenditures. And it says, our capital expenditures in 2017, I am now on page, page what? Oh, 47. So page 47, top of the page, capital expenditures in bold print. Our capital expenditures in 2017, 113.6 million, primarily related to the expansion of our over 275 acre physical campus in Arizona, in Phoenix, Arizona, and significant investment in technology to support students and staff. So that's huge, additional dormitories. So handling growth, right? Primarily related is words that the lawyers would use to say that the vast majority of that 113 million was spent on whatever they say it was spent on. And that would mean that's mostly growth. Is that, would you buy that from that language? I mean, yes, you say I think we should true? always go with what the lawyers say. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me ask you, if you, as a lawyer, use the word primarily related to expansion, what would you intend that to be understood? Mostly. Mostly. <laughs> I agree with you. The very high end of mostly. Would you say? Uh, I'm clear, I'm clear. <laughs> and then it lays out kind of what they, what they did. And they went on and pointed out that that 10 million that we saw for expanding the building parking garage um, is also for growth. So would you think it crazy if I said, I think the vast majority- Hold on, hold on, hold on. Is that all the information we've got? Well, I'm skipping over a whole paragraph of stuff here. 
about the difference between maintenance and growth in this company? Okay, I'll read the whole thing. Thank you. All right. So, 113 million primarily related to expansion of 275 acre physical campus in Phoenix and significant investment in technology innovation to support students and staff. In order to accommodate the continued growth of traditional ground population, the university completed the construction of an additional dormitory, other ground campus building projects, and land acquisitions adjacent to the campus, as well as purchases of computer equipment, other internal use software projects, furniture, equipment to support our increasing employee headcount. Included in the offsite development is 10 million we've spent to finish the building and parking garage in close proximity to the ground traditional campus. And employees who worked in two leased offices in Phoenix were relocated to this new building at the end of 2016. Are they trying to grow the number of their students? And they're growing like super fast. Yeah. Is that a yes? They are yes. trying to grow the number of their students? Yes. yes. Okay. I was just thinking about my college, which does regular stuff like that. I mean, every university has to do everything you just described. And I did not go to a for-profit one. And they're not trying to grow their students. So I would actually classify all that stuff at a school that's not trying to grow its student as maintenance because they have to keep up the grounds. They have to keep up the buildings in just in order to operate long-term. But if these guys are growing their student body, then yeah, I could see how that would be growth. All right, totally agree. I would say that over at Wellesley, if they said we're replacing the physical sciences building with a new one, that's maintenance. Right, I mean, it happens all the time. Yeah, there's always some project going on because buildings get old. And then if Wellesley said, you know, primarily what we did with this 100 million is expand our campus. Well, that they could do that too, but if they're not expanding the student body, then that's still maintaining the school. All right. Well, let me, let me just don't you think? Check. Yeah, I do. I think that's probably. I mean, probably like Wellesley. Thing. Okay, so Wellesley in particular, there's this Wellesley's on a lake, and there's this beautiful um, sort of end to the lake that was not part of the university, not part of the college, and it used to be an old paint factory, and it got declared like a horribly polluted site that had to be cleaned up under the some environmental act, like that big one that caused everything to get cleaned up. And um, and the, the college ended up buying it and cleaning it up and at huge expense, which expanded the acreage of the campus, it expanded the physical footprint of the campus, huge expense. And they turned it into this incredibly beautiful um, garden area that you can like walk in and there's kind of like pools and just, <laughs> It's so lovely. And then they built a whole new this. Do you want to take that back right now? Because to my knowledge, you didn't pay for that. A lovely alum named somebody Wong, whose name I forget. Oh, in that case, all right. Gave a very large donation. All right, I take it back. I thought they were taking it out of the money I paid for your tuition. (laughs) No, they raise raise money for these things. All right, fair enough, that's fine. Anyway, long story that leads to the point that as long as you're not expanding the student body, I would consider it to be maintenance. Maintenance. And also a side note, Wellesley is beautiful. And Wellesley is beautiful. And I'm very glad you went there. I'm very supportive of Wellesley. Now, back to this. Um, 
So I thought your point was well taken. I thought I'd better find out if they're growing uh, or whether that is just, you know, we're making it prettier. So I put in the words in our little search box on the PDF, uh, growth of students. I'm just guessing here, right? Growth of students. I'm just trying something. And bam, all kinds of stuff came up. And on page five, it says, we continue to experience growth in enrollment over the past several years. Our enrollment uh, in 2017 was approximately 90,000 students, representing an increase of 10% over our enrollment of 2016. And um, let's see, it doesn't go back much farther. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, back. that's got to be their business, right? Because they 12%, can't. 12%, 12, 13%. They can't increase prices that much. It's just. So there, and actually, this company, this is what stunned me about this company is a guy that gave this presentation and won the $1,000 first prize was a competitor of these guys. He's in the university business. He, he works for a university. For a for-profit university? Yeah, a faith-based for-profit university. Huh. And this turns out to be a faith-based for-profit university. Ah. And he can't compete with them. They found out that these guys can do everything maybe better than what his university is doing at a lower price and they can't figure out how. And so as a result, they're starting to buy Grand Canyon University's software to manage their programs to lower their costs. And it's turning out that Grand Canyon University is now starting to provide software to all of these faith-based universities around the country and getting revenue from them. So they were originally their competitors, and now they are their clients. So genius. I just like, what? <laughs> so this is recurring revenue. This is one of the big things I look for is, okay, recurring revenue. They've got a franchise that's the cheapest. The moat here is the price. They can do this for lower cost than anybody else. They've got a great brand, and they're growing like a weed. So answer to your question was, yeah, they're growing a lot. We seek to continue a, you know, higher growth based on academic, rigorous, professional, relevant education programs that advance the education and careers of our students. Um, they've been accredited at a very high level. They're, they're not, the accreditation uh, um, commission isn't going to look at them for another 10 years. So they've, they've, gotten, they've gotten big thumbs up. Anyway, we answered that question. Most of that looks like growth. So now we just okay, got to decide so now how much. Yeah, exactly. So what do you do? You do windage or you call them and you can call them up. Now, if you call up a public company, you're going to call the investor relations department, which is going to be on that investor relations website. All right. So let's go over and see if we can find it here. Um, go over to Grand Canyon University. Uh, investor contacts. That would be the place to find that information and it says investor contacts and asks you to basically put the information in and send a comment and just submit it so that's not as good as I'd like let's try something else corporate profile what I'm looking for is do they have an investor relations person or they're not actually going to do that so I have to dig around a while I won't do it right I'd now. I'd be surprised promise. yeah at this point um, if that's all they have for investor contacts then you know but let's just let's I, I kind of like the idea of calling them but let's uh i've never seen that to be available have you have you like called companies yeah and here it is so Recently. what i did is i went over to shareholder yeah 
I went over to shareholder services on this. It's one of the major lines on the website, uh, major menu items. And I clicked on uh, FAQs. And I went down, and, and here's one that says, how can I contact Grand Canyon Education or Investor Relations Department? And it unfolded. Uh, you can contact them by writing them at 2600 West Camelback Road, or you can call them. Oh. 602-247-4400. Okay, let's not put the number on. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, call away. <laughs> okay, don't call them unless you have a good question. Um, um, yeah, and I can tell you how is, to do that right Hold now. on. This is brand new information. Right. I feel like a ding should go off. <laughs> <laughs> no ding. This is um, just good stuff here. You call them? Yeah. You've never told me about that, ever. Well, I don't know how that got passed up on us. But when yeah. was the last time you called a company? Oh, a couple months ago. A couple months ago? Yeah, I don't call them very often. A couple months ago and you've never told me about this yeah you remember when i was having all that kind of trouble with horsehead oh my god i was talking to their investor relations all the time Why? and they were lying to me by the way oh and so sue me you okay never mind take that word out yeah <laughs> <laughs> don't believe the investor relations department by the way when they're telling you stuff but it is information and by the way record them so that later on, if there's a big problem, you can sue them. No, you can't that. just record people, Dad. I'd do it anyway. God. <sighs> Guys, you can listen to him about investing, not about phone calls. Not about legal things. No. Right. Um, no, but you just made a good point, which is that the numbers in the financial statements that are in the 10K are actually legally binding against the company, and people can go to jail if they were fraudulently fraudulently reported but if you just call a company which i didn't even know that you could do and get some person on the phone to give you some number it, there is no recourse that you have if that number turns out to be wrong you can yell at them <laughs> <laughs> which i have done <laughs> you lion yeah. And they'd be like, you listen to me, you deserve it. By the way, the guy was the vice president of investment relations. Just stop. The CEO. Just stop. These guys stop. need to be in jail. I'm trying to help you right now. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. So what we have is a company here that's growing. And Jeez. if we want to know more about the split between investor relations and, or between uh, capital expenditure for growth and capital expenditure for maintenance, and we don't have any other information to go on, calling their investor relations department or writing them a, a, an email or a letter may help you get that data. The problem is that companies are very reluctant to give you data that they have not given to everybody because that's how they get sued. Am I right, lawyer? Yeah, they could. Yes. Yep. Um, so if they don't break it out any more than what we see right here in the 10K, and then I call their investor relations department and they tell me specifically, oh yeah, 80 million of that 113 million, that's for growth. And the rest of it is maintenance. That would be a number nobody else has conceivably. And if I act on that number and I benefit from it, then conceivably, people who find out that I benefited from it could sue the company for not giving that information to them. 
Yeah, I mean, so you're not going to you're not going to get the think about this. I guess is what I'm saying. You're not going to what? You're not going to get it unless they put it out somewhere else. So the only reason to call the investor relations department is to find out if they've made presentations to investment bankers someplace out there where they may have discussed that and you can get that information. And often those kinds of things will also be on their website. So for example, um, I'm looking here at the website and I find that there is a place called News and Events where they're publishing that on the 17th of July, they announced their second quarter earnings release and conference call detail. Oh, that was nothing. Um, sorry, on the 8th of August, they had their second quarter results. And we can click on that, and it looks like they have a transcription of the second quarter results already there for us, which I'm now downloading. And I can read that may go into some detail about this. So that's how you do it. You just start digging in. There you go. There you go. Does that help? Yeah. Are you going to declare a number? I'm looking right now. Um, oh, you think there's something in there? You might have a little birdie on your shoulder telling you. I might have. I'm just digging, digging. Cash flows are used to Apple expenditures coming up to the second quarter. Okay. The but I guess, no. I guess the they point here. They didn't Sorry. break it out. So I'm just going to have to break it out. I'm just going to say uh, of the 113 million plus 10 million for the golf course stuff, I'm going to say 80 million of it was growth and 30 million isn't. I'm just going to say, okay. So maintenance is, I'm going to say maintenance is 30 million. I'm picking a number. That's all. I just picked the number right there out of the blue. Hmm. Unfortunately, what I've forgotten was, what was the number I had before we started? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Mr. I don't need to write anything um, down. Okay, I should have written that down. Wasn't I, it 235 or was that? Yeah, I think you're right. Let's assume it was because all we're doing is just sort of trying to get the ballpark here. So we say 235. All right, I'm just going to give it 35 million is maintenance, just because that rounds it off to 200 million of owner earnings. And now I can do my 10 cap, which is 10x, the 200 million of owner earnings, and I get a $2 billion company that I should pay 2 billion for if I get a chance to buy it for that. And I am now looking for what they're selling for. I think I think here's the interesting part, and this is why we've gotten so many questions about maintenance capital expenditures in the owner earnings formula. Okay, wait, before you do that, <sighs> I'm thinking I'd be happy to pay two billion just from what we've done, okay? Happy to pay two billion, and they're selling for five point three billion. So two things from that. First off, I don't get to buy it at that price. And second, that probably is the right price to, to get it on sale. And right now it's not on sale. And why should it be? It's going like crazy and gangbusters in a big bull market. And the market's as high as it's ever been. Uh, why would it ever be on sale? Unless they've got some huge problem and they don't. Therefore, my $2 billion purchase price from the 10 cap is probably easily 50% or better discount to the real value. Cool. <laughs> 
I stunned you into silence. That was awesome. Well, you interrupted. You interrupted okay. me, but I, I find that helpful and useful to see right. how you do that. Where were you going with before I rudely interrupted you? No, it wasn't rudely. Um, I was just trying to stay on our track of maintenance capital expenditures and and the owner earnings formula. And I think seeing that you just literally pick a number, mm -hmm. like it's total windage, mm -hmm. I think that's what people are all asking. Like that's the answer to everybody's question. Like it's kind of like at some point you just got to be like, I'm going to take a total guess. I mean, with, without more and that, information. And that feels really unsatisfying. Oh, it does? Well, Warren Buffett would probably say you're right. And that's because you haven't really learned all about this company yet. And neither have I. Yeah. Right? And so if I really dig into this, I'm going to have a lot tighter idea. But we don't need a tighter idea to see that, you know, this company's probably not on sale. I mean, okay, I tighten it up and I get 10 million here or there. So what? Yeah, that's a good point. So what? Right. And like, is it worth the time investment to get that tighter number? Yeah, I hear you, I hear you. Yeah, is it worth the time investment to get it precise when what we really want to do is just get in the ballpark here? Because this ballpark, the 10 cap, is providing us, if we're correct, with a 10% yield, and if we're wrong, okay, it's an 8% yield or it's a 12% yield. So what? The main thing is we're owning a company which is likely to be more valuable in 10 years than it is today, more productive in 10 years than it is today, and we're buying it if we get it for that price the next time the market comes tumbling down. Um, you're, you're, it's a good deal. Why, you don't have to know precisely how good a deal it is. You just know it's a good deal, right? Just like going yeah. to a flea market, just like buying a house down the road here. You keep it ballpark it. That's that's what you need to do. Well, that's why I like the triangulation method of having three different pricing evaluation methods. Because just doing that one, the 10 cap with owner earnings, that I've just essentially guessed on one of the numbers, that makes me feel very, as I said, unsatisfied and kind of dangerous. But if then the other two come back in maybe the same ballpark or by doing them, I understand the company better and I understand the numbers better, then, then I have much more security and much more confidence in my own guess. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. So really quickly, I'm just curious here before we stop, what would another of these things produce in terms of a value? And it's telling me on a per share basis that the stock price is at 217 bucks right now. And the sticker is at 160. And the margin of safety price You're is You're saying things 80. that don't make sense. You just talked about um, the, whole per, the whole purchase the whole price purchase of the company. Price. We were at 2 billion and you said it's selling for 5.3. Okay, so but What are you in... talking about now? And what, what, um, that, what method are you using? Um, this is just looking at the margin of safety price on it, just calculating really quickly. Margin of safety based on current earnings and so on. The margin of safety is also in our book, Invested, and it's in chapter eight. Right. Um, we have not gotten deeply into it on the podcast, probably to everyone's happiness at this moment. 
I'm laughing because I'm having a ball. I love doing this. <laughs> I'm like steadily dying. <laughs> I hope you guys aren't falling asleep out there because this is really fascinating right here. Um, I think it is fascinating. It's just, it's, it's tough. We haven't gone away. Dad is intently scribbling down numbers. Yeah, I really am. Um, and somehow trying to calculate. Oh, the oh, 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 I see. I had the wrong press. Excuse me. I was looking. I'm, what I'm doing is I'm trying to figure out um, if the, you know, at the, at the, at the price that I'm thinking this is worth, you know, right, let me do it again. I just, I think I just calculated the whole thing based on Apple. Pretty sure. I did. Yeah, I did. So, you mean you had the wrong company up? Yeah. Oh. Great. Always be sure to have the right company up. That would be one good thing to do. Yeah. Okay, um, just that really thing, that fast ballparking. That thing that you did, where you went from whole company number of five point three billion to per share number, that is out. something that was such an issue for me. And when we were writing our book. I would just would drive me freaking crazy because every, it just went back and forth. Everything was like, well, this one comes in per share, but this one comes in whole company numbers. And like, nobody ever talked about it. Everyone just sort of seems to assume that you know. And I, it just made me so angry that I insisted on making it as clear as I could possibly get it in the book that we were gonna go with whole company numbers and then occasionally we mention per share but only at the end and only when we've like really made it clear that that's what we're doing well, okay, the, i know we got to stop the podcast because we're running but here here's what it comes out on and i love the idea that we stay with the entire company numbers because that's how you should look at it you should look at it as an owner as soon yeah, exactly. as you shift to per share you start to get into a world of wall street so let's stay with owner and I just ran the margin of safety analysis, and it tells me that the sticker price is about $4.5 billion. The actual what's price the, is $5.3 sticker billion. Price? Sticker is what it's worth according to the margin of safety view, according to the discounted cash flow, which That's we talked about in our book. And the margin of safety price is $2.25 billion. So, so seeing, half of the sticker price. Yeah, half of the sticker. So we're seeing the 10 caps coming in at $2 billion, and the margin of safety is coming in at $2.25. So we're really right in the ballpark there. Of, of two ways of doing this. And finally, the eight-year payback time is really coming out better than either one of those. The eight-year payback time is at, uh, let's see really quickly, about almost $5 billion. The company's got astonishing free cash flow. So well, that's that, because it includes those growth capital expenditures. Right. It includes growth capital expenditures. So And growth. <laughs> And growth, and the growth on this company is at twelve percent. So, I, you know, if we paid five billion for that right now, it wouldn't be a horrible deal. Um, but I'd like to buy it for two point five. Essentially, is what that boils down to. So, all three methods are giving us numbers that are different from free cash flow to the owner earnings and margin of safety. Read invested. You can look at those different ways of viewing the numbers. And the conclusion, frankly, is I like to have two out of three pointing me in the same direction, and two out of three right here are pointing me toward buying this for about two and a half billion dollars as opposed to the 5.3 it's selling for. So if I love this company, it's going on my watch list. Wish list. Wish list. <laughs> and I'm gonna dig in deep before I put it up there. Right now, it ain't on sale. Got it. Okay. 
Do you think we've gotten through maintenance capital expenditures? I think we have. I think we've gotten through owner earnings. I think we've gotten through owner earnings. I think we're done with owner earnings. And please write us if this is, uh, if you've got questions about this, and we'll try to clarify. Um, but we probably won't try to clarify for another year or two. So, <laughs> well, we do want to get into Fiat Chrysler, though, because that's what we actually promised. Ah, in the we're going to come back to this indeed. All right. Yes. And until then, I think it's time to go play. Let's go. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, show notes, and more episodes, visit us at investedpodcast.com. There's a special offer waiting for podcast listeners to attend my three-day investing workshop absolutely free. So just head to investedpodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it.